What's up, everyone? You're listening to I Want to Know, where we answer all your questions on the Bible and Christian living. I'm Rudo, and I'm joined by my incredible co-hosts, Neil and Mamiela. Hi, everybody. So last week we spoke about singleness and, and what that means. And this week we're going to be speaking white uh, Mamiela. Give I us a hand. We are speaking about Njolisto, Njolo, dating. You know how it is, people walking around the mall hand in hand. Hugging, you know, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, we talk about Joel and dating this week. But first, what is what is dating? Guys, let's, let's let's first start there. What is dating? Okay, so in my opinion, dating is like when you have a commitment to someone, and you agree on how it, like how deep you can go into the relationship, and. You just know that that's the person you want to spend a lot of time with and things like that, yeah. So I think it's a very important question because, you know, what we mean by dating, you know, so if we mean like what Rudo has said, then that's good because it's a, it's like a committed relationship, friendship, you're working towards something. I think if you mean by dating, like, let's just try people out to see who's going to fit best. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's how we should, should use people. Um, I think maybe something to do with exclusivity. But um, as we said last time, if it's based on friendship or comes out of friendship, then it's a healthy place. Um, I think if you're a bit older, maybe, and you know, you're working or you can work towards marriage, then the word I really like to use is courtship. Because then you're coming together for a purpose. You're working towards towards marriage in that space. So, yeah. But yeah, but because I, but, I, for me, I've always thought it's like, you know, you're nice. I'm nice. You're cute. I'm cute. We're vibing. Our conversations are nice. You know, let's see where this goes. And then you go out on a few dates. And then if there's butterflies, you know, then 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 it happens. Then you guys date. But I I don't know. Sometimes I get scared when, like, you, you mentioned the C word, girl. That's commitment. Like, if we're dating, it's like, yeah, you're committed. And it's like, yo, it means, I, I, it means this is it. This is it. I'm done. So I don't know. I I, I get scared because you know, you said something around um, you're not using other people, but how do we then determine compatibility? If I'm dating one person and then that's it, I'm committed, I'm done. So for me, that's why friendships are important. So if you've got a circle of friends, and then if there is someone where you know there's an attraction or the butterflies happen, I think you spoke about, then you go out alone for a coffee, but you keep it in the friendship space. You get to know mm-hmm. each other in the friendship space. Because I, I suspect that I think a lot of people, when they hear the word dating, they think that it's uh, giving them uh, privileges to, to physical intimacy and things like yeah. that, uh, which, I, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but I don't think that should be part of dating at all. That's mm. for marriage. Mm. Okay. But yeah, so I think it's the, get, you get to know people in, in a friendship circle. You can wow. stay friends until you really know, and maybe until God starts speaking and gets involved, you know, involve God in the process too. Speaking of God, it actually leads us beautifully into our first question, uh, which says, does it matter whether a person you are dating shares the same faith with you or not? Oh, that's a good one. So, so I think, you know, for me, um, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm giving sound bites, but I think if you're going to walk together, you have to agree together. Uh, and faith is a very important part of what we do and who we are. And so if we want to live our whole lives for God, then we need someone who's at least going to agree with that and be doing the same. Mm. Um, You know, there are some Bible verses that speak a bit about it. The the one that people speak about a lot is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where, you know, I'm sure you've heard that they talk about don't we be unequally yoked. Now, if we look at that scripture in 2 Corinthians 6, it's not directly about marriage and dating. It's actually about worshiping. You can't worship God and idols. But what we do then is we take the principle from there and say you can't be unequally yoked, meaning that you should at least agree together to be able to walk together. And so if faith is important to you, the person you're walking with should absolutely be a believer. If I can speak from experience, from watching a couple of relationships, from people when when one person's a believer and the other person isn't, what eventually happens is surprisingly, uh, sometimes there are stories where the unbeliever comes to faith, but mostly the believer starts compromising. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the pressure of society around them. So I think if you're going to uh, walk together, you've got to agree together, yeah. that, especially about faith. And I mm. think the Bible speaks to that in, in that chapter. I think this question is such a powerful one because what I've seen 
is that same faith differs for many people. So I would ask a lot of girls, what's your type? And they'll be like, you know, you know them. And people listening know, I want a God-fearing man. He must, he, he must love the Lord and, you know, he must, have, he must be a man after God's heart. And then my next question is, oh, so you want a bishop or a pastor? No, 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 not, not that deep. But, you know, he must still be Christian. Yeah. And so it kind of feels like people want, like, guys that are, you know, that are saved, but not all the way saved, that can still delve into that cool kind of still palatable. So it, it always confuses me when we say share the same faith because it seems to me lately that celibacy doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Oh. <laughs> now you just introduce another word, celibacy. Okay. Which I think, you know, we'll probably speak into a bit later, but it's again what, Rudo, you mentioned about the values. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to share values because, sure. look, let's be honest, the temptations are real. And if you're not starting at the same value base, the temptations are going to pull you. When you start at the same wow, value base, then you've got a place where you can maybe, at least you're, you know, you're together, you're in agreement. In yeah, definitely. Um, but longer term, you know, if you, think, if you think not of dating as just something temporary, but dating as maybe I'm working towards marriage, mm. absolutely I would say the person has to be a Christian. Uh, wow. Because you, that's the next 30, 40 years. Uh, I know this doesn't sound super romantic, but that's your children. That's how you're going to raise the children and everything. So there has to be a space of agreement there, I would say. Sure. That's so good. So good. Well, I, I'm loving it. So we've got the next question, Rudo. Sure. Okay. So the next question is, when is it safe for you to know your partner's background or past? Yo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what, can I take a stab? Yeah, or, or are you like you lining up to let Lucia? No, no, no. I'm, I'm okay. go for it, Neil. Um, so, so I think for me the answer is when you build trust. Cool. And so, if you're coming out of a friendship and there's trust, and I, so I definitely don't think on your first, second, or third date you just lay it all out. Yeah, Particularly things that become intimate or private. So let's say you do have a, a sexual history or something. I think that can actually be dealt with in marriage counseling if it's needed, you know. So there is a, definitely a place for it. But for me, it's when you've built trust and then sharing that stuff is also part of um, building the trust. But I would definitely say it's a necessary discussion somewhere before you get married. But And I know now I'm running way ahead of the dating discussion. But if you if you head that way, it's always good to do something like a pre-marriage course or to go for pre-marriage counseling. Mm -hmm. And that's the space where you can really address some of the more I think private and intimate things as well. That would help there. I don't yeah. know how you got what you think. I wow. I think really to answer, to answer that question very well, I think background in the past is very important because it gives context to who the person is, especially relationally, because there could be some things that are triggering that person and you don't know what on yeah. earth is triggering that person, but it was a past relationship. So they probably might have a, like a trust deficit where they were played for days and they were cheated on and they come into a new relationship and they're insecure. And you're like, why is this person insecure? What's going on? And you do things that inadvertently triggers them and you don't know what it is that triggers them. Uh, so I think being transparent and open about the background and past is very important. However, how you handle that information, because it's very, it's very vulnerable information, how you handle it is very important. Um, but also to go a bit deeper, uh, because background and past is so, you know, it could mean anything. It could be emotional and stuff. But what about, like, previous partners and what you did physically? When do we divulge that, like, ish? <laughs> well, I think that speaks to what I said a little bit earlier around. I think there's a place for it, but that might be as part of marriage counselling. Um but it's really when there's trust, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, obviously if you have certain deal breakers in the relationship, you know, you don't want to wait a year before, before you put your deal breaker on the table. You want to let the person know that rather sooner than later. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it is about trust. And I think even to what you said earlier, you know, whether someone's got insecurities or something, part of that is learning how to have conversations with each other, even when they're emotive. Mm. Because if it's a real friendship or a, a real potential for becoming something romantic and stuff, you have to learn to have the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's when you feel that there's trust. And trust sometimes, well, trust is interesting. You have to give a bit of trust, but there is also an element where trust is earned a little bit as well. Definitely. So 
I don't know, Rudolf, if, if you've got any wisdom for us. Uh, I think that, like, obviously, before you get into a, a relationship and you're dating officially, you're obviously friends before. So, and that trust is usually built within a friendship. So, and you, you know you can say certain things to a friend. And then when you get into the relationship, there's not a lot that you're not telling them. So you can, so now you have a basis and you, and like you said, there's obviously certain things that may trigger them that they they aren't open to telling and mm-hmm. they, they haven't yet opened enough to be able to say those things. So they keep those things for a relationship instead of a friendship. And that's how usually friendships are. You, you have certain things that you can tell them and that you cannot, and a relationship has more things that you can say because you obviously have to put your trust in that person. And it's obviously also earned. If you know you can't say certain things to a person, you won't. Hmm. You shouldn't be dating them. Yeah. Um, Period. And so I think probably just to circle back to the question is, I don't think there's a rule. You, You have to gauge it by the level of trust that's built. Yeah. Um, and that takes a little bit of time and that takes conversations, that takes mm. getting to know each other. That's why it's always great to to have a broad friendship circle because then you know where, the, where your natural affinities are and things like that. Um, can we step to the next question? Or yes, let's go for it. So I get to ask this question probably because I'm the wrong shade of melanin to speak <clears throat> to answer it properly. But one of the questions that came in is, came in is that how far should couples go to fulfill cultural aspects, probably cultural expectations uh, of a relationship. So, you know. Yo, I'll take a stab at it. Listen, it's hard. It is hard. Because I have friends, right? Uh, And my friends, I have some friends that are white friends. And it's amazing how, like, white parents are like, hey, we want to meet your partner. You know, come over for dinner. Let's go on holiday together. We want to get to know them. In my family, that is not going to happen. They want to meet him when you are ready to get married. And, and it's, it's very taboo to meet parents um, when you're a black person uh, dating. And so what then happens is we then date in secret. You know, we, we date, but the family doesn't know. And then eventually, you know, it starts with the one cousin and then the second cousin. And then you, you slowly ease, ease them in. But I think it, it becomes very hard and leads also to further conversations around people getting married because younger people are taking a lot more time to get married um, because culturally, it's, it's, our culture is not evolving. And in it not evolving, um, you'd find that we have principles like the Lobola principle, for example, where young people are shying away. They're like, no, man, I don't want to get married. I don't want to get introduced to your family because now that's going to mean commitment and, and, and paying up when it's like, whoa. But at the same time, I mean, you'd want your family to meet the person so that they can tell you, you know, there's just, I don't think they fit. There's some things that you're not seeing. So there's, there's, there's an upside and there's a downside because if I've, if I've had five girlfriends, I don't want my parents to meet all five, all five, six, seven of them. And then they're like, you you had a problem. You. But yeah, I don't know. How, about, how does it culturally, like in... Um, I can't really say from a cultural perspective because my family personally doesn't do many practices regarding. But um, I think the reason people are taking longer to get married is because obviously you you want to meet you want your partner to meet your parents, but because of the culture, it is it's like it's almost premature. And you need to be on a very serious level before you can meet a partner's parents. Mm. And that's obviously why that like why people don't let their parents meet their partners. Mm. Because it it needs to be very serious and, and a lot of the like our generation I can speak for, we don't get as serious. We usually um do like date just because like we need someone or we want someone to like, I don't know. I don't know what dating, I don't know what happens in dating, but like I've seen that like, it doesn't get as serious as like, obviously like older people because Mm -hmm. they're obviously looking for people that they can like, they see themselves with in the future. So they won't obviously meet their parents at a young age. And like also 
people do and like parents nowadays are getting more comfortable with it as well so yeah there's that too so maybe if i can pick up on that i, I think it's just as a general principle uh whatever culture you're from it's really important to um engage with your parents mm-hmm. now probably realistically if you're 16 or 17 and you go sit down with your folks and you say how do you want me to introduce my future spouse to you or something like that uh, you're going to cause a bit of a consternation. <laughs> yeah. Homework. But yeah, but probably, you know, if you're a bit older, maybe you finish studying, you're ready to work and, you, and you're in the space where you can look to settle down and you can do courtship and things like we spoke about. I think it's good to have the conversation with your parents. Um, I, I uh, got married and engaged when I was a little older. I was actually, I think, 28, 29 uh, at the time. But even there, I my commitment was that I always wanted my parents to meet the lady. And so it's important to engage with your parents when the time is right. Even on cultural matters, you, I think it's, and I know, I know, you know, I have colleagues and friends who engage with this a lot who aren't white. There's always somebody you can talk to, mm. now, whether it's an auntie or an uncle, and you can just say, look, how do we do this? How do we open this conversation? Particularly if your parents are quite uh, conservative, but I would rather opt for having the conversation than, you know, you've been, dating someone for four years and nobody yeah. knows. And then you're very serious and your parents go, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so I'd rather engage when the time is right. Yeah. I think I would say is the best I can do there. Yeah, so. Yeah, but Nils, it's, I, th- I think it's hard. Like, I th- engaging with black parents on a friend kind of level, it's very, very, very hard. It's because the foundation of when we were growing up, that wasn't there. And so to try and build it like in high school, like, hey, tell me about your dating life. Automatically, that response is, why are you dating in the first place? Mm. You haven't cleaned your room for five days and you're busy wanting to date here. It's a great question. You know, <laughs> you can't make up your bed, but you want to have a girlfriend. You know, it's, it's very hard to, to speak openly and candidly about it. But I dated a person once who wasn't in my culture. And uh, I thought it was just Jolo, you know, we like each other, we care, we're vibing, would you be my girlfriend? Fantastic. And then this girl, I kid you not, guys, I get a call three days later. Hey, uh, my dad wants to meet you. I was like, Lord, this is not happening. This is not happening. And Struz Bob, I, I dressed up and I went to the house and I knocked on the door and I was like, hey. And he's like, oh, no, you can have a seat in the lounge. I'll, I'll, I'll come speak to you guys now. And I was nervous. I, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was like, I don't, know what, I don't know what to do. And the girlfriend at the time came and I asked her, why am I here? What exactly is supposed to happen here, you know? And she's like, oh, you're supposed to ask him if you can date me. And then he's going to say yes and then give you some Good guidelines. Father. You know, <laughs> I had never experienced that before because my dad was like, do what you do when you get ready you get married, come to me. Um, so I think it's it's so beautiful, like and I think for young people also, just to establish that conversational space of when this does happen, this is how it should happen. And I think it's it's beautiful to build relationships and also for the person coming in, it's much easier. Um, and it, it, it takes away the awkwardness as well. But there's a question here. As we move on swiftly. And uh, I'm, I'm in two minds about this question. And it says, should couples who are just dating do Bible study and seek the Lord together? Or does that breed a type of intimacy that can skew our relationship with God if it's not contained in marriage? Uh, I think, Neil, you can take uh, this one. Okay. Um, so you know what? It depends where you are in the relationship. I think if you're just starting out to do things like pray together, read the Bible together, aren't bad, but do it in groups and do it in public. Uh, because sometimes when you pray together, particularly if it becomes really intimate and you're like alone and it's after 10 o'clock at night, then you, look, I have a whole thesis around nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night, uh, <laughs> romantically, okay, unless you're married. Um but before you're married, nothing good happens after, good happens after 10 o'clock at night. So I think when and where really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, but do it in a groups. Join your youth group's Bible studies. Study the Bible together or read it together and share a little bit. Um, 
obviously it doesn't have to be the whole relationship unless you're like super, super or, or something like that. But I think just in groups and then once you're more settled and particularly if you're old and you know you're going this way, then absolutely involve God. God, what's the next step for us? What are you doing? Um, but uh, yeah, I think probably more when you're courting, you can really start building and maybe once you're engaged and you know, then that's something you can really build towards, but still being wise in the when and where of the situation. I think if it also helps that you can then start gauging where each other are spiritually. Okay. Um, but you know, yeah, people are strange. You know, sometimes let's go and pray together and then they find a dark corner somewhere. They're not praying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you get people that are a little dodgy with it, especially if they know the Christian, Christian words to use and things mm. like that. But for normal good people, um, probably slowly and initially, as similar to the other question where, where trust builds. That's one of the ways you can build trust by praying together and things like that. But starting groups. Yeah. I agree. So I've got a question around that. I'm confused, especially, I, I want to hear this after 10 analogy because I've seen it a lot. <laughs> Texts just change after 10 o'clock. You know, mm. things just get a bit more open and a bit more frisky. And I know a lot of teenagers that are watching this right now. You know exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> after 10, you start sending things that you shouldn't send and all of that. Why does that happen, Neil? What, what is behind that? So I think sometimes it's just simply got to do with we're tired and we're relaxed and we let our guards down. Look, I know in certain spaces, you know, people only go out at 10 o'clock at night, you know, if they go to clubs or things like that. Um, but... I think what happens is when you're tired or when you're relaxed, you let your guard down. And then it's just, it's much easier to succumb to temptation. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I'd even say if people are really mature, they're really dating, they're really serious, leave it at 10. You know, and I know 10 o'clock is early for some people. I, you know, I, I, I really get it. Um, or that if you are going to be together late, just then make sure that you've got really good boundaries or, mm. you know, you're not alone or something like that. Um, so I think, and what's interesting is it's usually at the end of the week when people are tired. So I think it's tired wow. and I'm relaxed and I let my guard down. Look, you know, dodgy things don't only happen after 10 o'clock at night, but that's where um, the risk is the greatest in my experience. Wow. Okay. But, okay, so going back to this question, because I, I understand the group thing, but what's dangerous about it? Hey, bibs, my bibs, let's put it together. You know, let's trust the Lord together. And you pray, and it's fine. Or, hey, I'm fasting for this. Let's fast together. What is the dangers of that? How does, why would we need a group instead of doing it alone? Okay, so since I said groups, um, I think I said start in a group. So then you get used to doing it together. So if it's things like I'm fasting for this, then absolutely pray together. Okay. But I think it's, there's a space where prayer gets into an intimate space. Mm. You know, maybe like where you're pouring your heart out before God or, you know, if you've been on like an all-night prayer journey, then it's the same. You're tired and your God is down. So it's just those spaces to be careful or wise. I think wise is the word I'm looking for. It's good to be wise. So pray together, but be wise okay. in the processes. Maybe let me qualify what I'm saying a little bit better wow. than that. So it's good. But if you're going to start praying about, you know, your inner hurt and my inner hurt, uh, yeah. and it's yeah. early on, uh, I'd rather advise against that. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I think he should set a boundary of when it gets too deep and when you're sharing way more than you should be because some things you need to work on with yourself and you don't necessarily need to share mm -hmm. it with other people. Yeah, either way, like, and I agree completely with everything. So good. Okay, we can, we can move on to this. So, so I know I'm from a different generation and, and this is one of the questions that came in, but I'd be interested to hear your views. Um, I'm pretty sure I'll share my own somewhere too. But the question was, how physically intimate should one be in the dating phase? It's quite an interesting way the oh, question is phrased, you're, actually. You're. But how physically intimate should one be in the dating phase? You want to take a step? <laughs> hey, they don't shoot straight. That question shoots straight. They don't beat around the bush. Um. Okay, so it depends on certain things like your personal your personal like preference and that can be influenced by other experiences and then also what if you're like my age what your parents think 
and you should obviously listen to your parents because it's it's advised and the Bible said so. And yeah, like if your parents say don't do certain things, you shouldn't do it because and because they know why you shouldn't. And then if if you have like certain past experiences where, for example, you might have had a past like relationship that was maybe abused or like a certain like phase in the relationship or intimacy was abused and you wouldn't you're not comfortable anymore with that then you obviously need to say to your partner listen I'm not comfortable with going that far or whatever and yeah something like that like you need to consider all the factors of why you might not want to be going so deep into that wow into like intimacy but I mean it obviously depends on what you mean by intimacy that's a very good question because I was about to ask the same thing <laughs> what do we mean by intimacy do we mean just holding hands um hugging, hugging yeah. <laughs> you know because I think in my generation when I read this physical intimacy means going the whole way the full nine yards yeah. um it ranges from that spectrum to not doing anything at all. Um, and normally people ask this question, how far is too far? Mm. And, and they're trying to get to the line. And for me personally, I think your conviction in your relationship with God determines it. A lot of people like to, they want to approach the Bible in a what is right, what's wrong, what's written or what's not written. And I think if you approach things in a what pleases him and what doesn't please God, what, what pleases God and what does not please God, that is, is, is the crux of the matter. So if, if God doesn't want you to, for example, have a full makeout session with somebody, that's your conviction with the Lord. Don't do it because that's what he's telling you to do. But, but if we look at the Bible as a legislative book, then I think we missed it because it's a relational book, you know? And, and so I think also um, with the, how, how physically intimate one should be, I think how you see the person matters. Um, if, if you see them through God's eyes and through God's lens, it changes everything. If you just see a hot person that is way, yes, listen, Lord, it's, it's amazing, but um, then that can lead you astray. But I think uh, how physically should you be in the dating phase? If Jesus is in the room, would you be doing exactly the same thing? Jesus or their or their parents, <laughs> oh. the other person's parents. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, so actually, there's three questions that are here that are kind of all interrelated. So, and I know we kind of plan to do them one by one, but you know, the, there's a question here around lust and love. How do you differentiate between lust and love? And then, is there a standard that God has for sexual purity? Mm. And they kind of all speak to that. And so, um, remember what I said earlier: dating doesn't. It's not a license to get physically intimate. It's a license to get, if you're going to do it, if you want to not just keep it in the friendship space, it's probably just to get to know a person a bit better. Um, if I can tell a story from many years ago. So uh, when, when I was a student, uh, my wife was actually in the youth group here at the church as well. Um, it was the mid-90s. I don't know if anybody, I think you guys won't remember, but maybe for the parents, they can explain it. There was a drink that was being marketed. It was called Fresca. And in the marketing campaign or in the ad campaign, they, they it was it was like in the Fanta 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 Orange Fanta Grape range. It was that kind mm. of range, but it had a unique taste. So in their ad campaigns, they used to say nothing tastes like Fresca. And so in the youth group at that time here at Hatfield, they used to speak about that if you're in a relationship, you go Fresca. You don't do nothing uh, <laughs> physical because nothing tastes like Fresca. Yeah. Um, personally, I think um, COVID is very helpful. Social distancing rules, a meter and a half apart at all times. Great, great advice. Mm. Um, <laughs> but if you talk principle, I think the Bible does speak into these places, but not because it's a book of rules. It's because God loves us and he knows what's best for us. And that's, that's real. And so when we talk about physical intimacy, the, I think, you know, you, you can't say don't do it, but let's talk a little bit about the why. Okay, so I see the why this way. that Physical intimacy is incredibly powerful in bringing people together. Uh, you know the saying opposites attract? Well, well I think that's true in a, in a lot of cases, but the physical intimacy helps bring different people together. 
mm. uh, male and female together. They are very different subspecies. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> but physically, and so what God said is, is that because it's so precious and because it's so powerful, the best place for it is in marriage where there's proper commitment. Because if you're not in marriage and the commitment's not there and you do these things, uh, it's incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. um, if we're honest, we, we, if it wasn't nice, we wouldn't do it. Mm. Okay? Real talk. If we Facts. have to be honest. Yes. Um, but the, and that's part of the power of it. There is an enjoyment to it. There is a, a drawing to it. But that's why God said it's for marriage. Because it's only in marriage that you've got a container strong enough, a relationship strong enough to hold the power of that appropriately when you mm. commit it. Um, we talk about lust and love, maybe. Well, let me, let me step back. The Bible says that your, your body is a temple of God. Uh, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 6. I'm not, verse 19 and 20, if anybody wants to know. But it says your body is a temple of God. And I think it's very helpful to remember, it's not what would you do if Jesus is in the room with you. If you're a believer, Jesus is in the room with you, you know, by his spirit. Mm. And I mean, you can ignore that and you can say it's being all super spiritual. And, and I guess this part of it is. But then the Bible also says, just remember your body doesn't belong to you. When you've Come given on. your life to Christ, you give your life to him, which includes your body. And so without being too weird, I suppose one of the questions you can ask is, well, Jesus, what can I do with your body that you've given me? Mm. Or what can I do with my body? But <clears throat> can I just tell you from talking to hundreds of young people, when they've got too physically intimate before marriage, it only, and then it doesn't work out, or even if it causes damage, it puts things in the wrong place that they weren't, that they weren't meant for. So, um, that's why I said the question was phrased inter in, interestingly, how physically intimate should one be in the dating phase? Well, don't assume that you should be physically intimate in the dating phase. I think that's mm. the better place to start the, the discussion. So, sorry, I spoke a bit long now, but um, I don't so know if good. there's any follow-ups. I've got a follow-up because I think um, physical intimacy has sometimes been seen, especially in, in masculinity, as a rite of passage. Um, so if you're in high school, if, if you haven't gone a certain level with a girl or you don't know how to kiss or you don't know how to do certain things, then you, you get labeled as a less than guy. Um, and what I'm then beginning to see, especially in my generation, is a lot of the Christian girls want that guy that's, you know, that's experienced, that, that has done the things. They don't want a brand new guy and which then now, views virginity, for example, as a weakness. Because I've, I've heard countless number of, of Christian women that are like, I'm not sure I want to marry a guy that's a virgin. He must know what he's doing. And it's like, what do you mean by that? And so it seems like the, the lack of physical intimacy um, or experience in that has played, has ventured into the masculine realm and it's now forced young men specifically to want to know things and to want to do things in order for them to feel like a man. So, so can I speak to it because oh, I'm yeah. a man? <laughs> <laughs> so I think this is very important is where do we take our cues from? Where do we take our standards from? And if we're going to take it from culture around us and, and the let's call it the broader peer group, um, it will only ever end up being ungodly because the culture around us is, is increasingly ungodly. And so, like masculinity, where do I find my identity? Do I, do I benchmark my identity by what's going on around me in the culture? Because that shifts. Mm. It's going to be tricky, you know. What it meant to be masculine in the 80s, 90s, to 2010s or whatever, it shifts. Mm. So um, in the last episode, I think we spoke a little bit about loving God with your whole heart. And so I have to take my benchmarks from God and from the Bible. Um, I need to find my value and my worth there, not on my what I know and don't know. Mm. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very important. And, and I, it's real pressure. The pressure was there when I was a teenager as well. Um, I think much less than it is now. I think the, the pressure is just up on, on all scales. But men and women, we have to find our identity in Christ, that identity be formed by Christ. Now, mm. that, that sounds nice, but what does that mean? That means practically this, is that if I want to know if something's good for me or not, 
I look to scripture. I look to my relationship with Jesus. Because that's what's truly good. That's what stood the test of time in the thing. Um, God made the universe and he knows how it works best. And that's why when he says physical intimacy is so powerful, so important, it has to be in marriage. It's because, not because he's spiteful and mean. It's because he knows best that that's in your design, in how you made, that's when it's expressed best uh, in the space. So I don't want to say the pressure is not real. But we have to look to other sources to define ourselves and what, what we're going to do, I guess. Um, I don't know, Rudo, if you've got any thoughts? No, actually. Okay. Maybe if we talk about the next question, we can speak a little bit more specifically into this area. Yeah. Okay, the next question is, can a couple love... So sorry, I meant the one about lust and love. Sorry, right, sorry, yes. sorry, sorry. Okay, so how do you differentiate between lust and love? Okay. So for me, it's about you have to, it starts in your own heart. You have to be honest with your own heart. But if I have to put it simply, lust is when it's about self-satisfaction. When it's about what I want, my needs, and what's going to make me feel good. Um, so I might want to use somebody else to achieve that and maybe make them feel good, but it's about me. Love has become an interesting word because it's got connotations mm-hmm. from Bollywood, Nollywood, and Hollywood. Okay, there, there's a, the word is defined in a certain way. But when we think of the Bible, love is defined as what's in the best interest of the other person. So if I've got the, be, the best interests of the other person in heart, which means respect them, respect their body, let them be pure, that's love. Mm-hmm. When it's for my own selfish gain, then I start thinking that we're more in the lust space. Yeah. Um, but we need to reclaim the word love a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think to answer your question, um, we're living in a generation that is full of mixture. And so you get people that are consuming and they're ingesting um, pornography. And when they look at pornography and they ingest pornography, then they start thinking that is intimacy and they start associating sex um, and the stuff that they see in porn as intimacy when it isn't. And it's, it's just counterfeit intimacy. And therefore, then we, we see a mixture where, where young people cannot differentiate between love and lust. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where you, where you get people that want to receive love and that have a hole there and they want to fill it with love. And Jesus wants to fill that hole. And they mistake getting people and they get people that fill that hole with lust um, because it's love. And then those people leave and they get broken again. And I, I really think um, the only way you can differentiate between lust and love is to know love itself. And love is a person and his name is Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus personally and intimately, you will always subscribe to the culture's definition of what love is. And like you said, it's, it's completely different to, to, to how he loves us. And it's really sad because a lot of people settle for that kind of love and they are hungry and, and they're really, there's a hole that, that, that needs to be filled. And I really think, and if you're listening to this also, um, this, Jesus is the love that you need. And once you encounter him, any relationship you get into, that will be the benchmark. If anyone loves you less than that, you'll be like, no, that, that, that kind of smells like lust. Second best. Yeah, yeah. second best. I don't know if that answers. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, nowadays it's harder to know the difference because there's so many, like you said, different ways people interpret love. Some think it's a feeling, some think it's a verb. And But you, you need to know what love is and who love is to know the difference between lust and love. And I agree with you guys completely. So in high school, I've got a question. In high yeah. school, because you guys do dating very differently to how we did dating. Because I, I, I see and I speak to young people who are going to problems I went through when I was 18. And it's like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just struggling, you know. I just had a past with this person. I'm, I'm coming to the next one. So like in your friendship circles or, people, or circles that you've seen, like what is the process that young people go through from the... I'm single and I want to go into a relationship. Um, is it very lust-driven or is it very love-driven? Like, how do you, how do, how do young people think before they get into relationships at high school? 
Um, okay, I think before people think of lust, they think of themselves, well, yeah, they think of themselves and how they need something. They're looking for something to wow. fill a gap within them. And that's usually with like outside and within the Christian teenage community because people think that like dating someone will help them. Like obviously, you know, you have friends that can help you with situations, but you need someone closer that can fill that for you. And I think that's usually the thought process with how people get into relationships and things like that. And then also other people see other people in relationships and think, oh, I want that. Goals, relationship goals, girl. That kind of thing. Like they'll see them doing certain things or having fun with their partner and they're like, oh my gosh, I want that. I need that couple goals. And they're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to start looking for my future man's or future women's I don't know wow. <laughs> yeah so that's I think yeah and I mean that's powerful you, nobody mm. wants to be alone yeah. or, or be left out and that's why I say probably we have to look to find some of those things in God and in our friends um, otherwise the road gets dangerous because sure. it's never it never satisfies like it should and then you always yeah. go look for more and for more yeah and for more in that space so yeah. couple goals are a thing there's such a th- there's nothing like scrolling through social media and you're like, oh man, I want that. Or worst, you see somebody who you thought you cannot possibly get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And they're happy and you're like, really? Yeah. Really, Lord? And it's, it's, it's such peer pressure because especially in my generation, um, when people start getting married, you start looking and you're like, Lord, I also want a partner. What Have I been left behind? What's going on? And if it's not that, it's, status and it's class like wow they're really balling they just look like the happy couple when it's actually not the case but to go on to the next question and this is an interesting one is the standard of sexual purity in christian relate is there a standard for sexual purity in a christian relationship or is it a personal standard influenced by the holy spirit so i'm gonna say yes for sure um because, you know, sometimes we think that the Bible doesn't speak about things. And mm. the Bible does speak about this. And when the Bible speaks about something, then kind of we have to, we have to align with the Bible. Mm. We have to move our own hearts. Uh, and so there's a, quite a few scriptures. But maybe a good one to mention here is um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 from about verse 3 to 8. But essentially just says is you must avoid any kind of sexual immorality, which uh, in the way it was used in that time would mean anything inappropriate physically. Okay. Avoid sexual immorality because you're supposed to have control of your own body. And that's what God wants for you. He actually says, don't live, uh, Paul writes, and he says, don't live like the pagans. So that's the thing of don't live like the world around you. Don't take your standards from the unbelievers. Take your, your standards from God. So I think the standard is this. No sexual intimacy, uh, um, complete abstinence before marriage, complete faithfulness in marriage. What do you mean by complete abstinence? No kissing. No. Yeah. So that. So that. No, that, that. That. That's the great question. So, I think you should avoid it, kissing, leave it for marriage if you can. But not everybody could. Um, I, I couldn't myself. But what happens is this. Uh, you know these old pictures of the of like you have a bomb and then you have a fuse burning. So kind of when the bomb goes off, the bomb's supposed to go off in marriage, okay? But but every time you engage something physically, it's like you burn a piece of that fuse. And then you can't reset it. It's burnt. Mm. And so that's why you always push and push and push. That's particularly why people find themselves pushing because they want that feeling. And so you burn the fuse and they burn the fuse. And once that fuse is burnt, it's, it's only like God that can reset. So mm. my advice is leave the fuse really, really long. Okay. Um, but there is, there is an element here of conscience. But, but your conscience is not just what... Uh, sometimes people talk about speak your own truth. That's not what I mean by conscience. By conscience, I mean that it needs to be informed by what the Bible says. Okay. So, but for sure, no sex outside of marriage. Zero, nothing. Not even stirring up desires for sex. I think that's too much. So sometimes you can kiss and it's a kiss. And sometimes you kiss and it's stirring up. Yes. And that's where you have to have integrity of heart. 
So nothing sexual before marriage and then complete faithfulness inside marriage to your spouse. I think that's what the Bible teaches. I think so. so I think there is a standard. Uh, I think where your conscience comes in and you and the Holy Spirit is, you know, in your thought life and what you allow and, and things like that in the space. So I understand that that can be construed as um, old-fashioned, yeah. but I think it's wise and I think that's what's what's clear in the Bible, not just from 1 Thessalonians 4. There's other passages as well. But that's a tough standard. Yeah. Fresca. Fresca. Or COVID. <laughs> Normally the question that, that, that really people hammer when we, when we speak about notice sexual immorality, then they start zooming in, what is sexual immorality? You know, because then there's a gray area there. Like, okay, so if I touch, is it, is it, is it in the Bible or is it just not wise to do that? So if I stir up sexual feelings but don't have sex, is it, is, is it wise not to do that? Or does the Bible say don't stir, don't stir it up? See, so that's interesting because there are words in the Bible that speak to that. So, and it depends a little bit on the Bible translation you use. But one of the words they use is to defraud. Uh, if you use some of the, the older translations, they'll speak about uh, debauchery. Wow. That's like serious King James language, okay? But they'll say to defraud someone. To defraud someone means you're raising up a desire in them or you're stirring up a desire in them that can't be legitimately satisfied. Mm. So sexual desires can only be legitimately satisfied in marriage because it's good. That's where God made it to be. But if you're stirring up someone that you can't legitimately satisfy, then you're actually using them wow. for your own ends, you see. Uh, so then it's, then it's the lust category, not the love category. Yeah. Uh, in the space, you know. So yeah. I think the Bible says far more about it than what we maybe were sometimes aware of or maybe than we, what we're comfortable with mm. because we want to look at what's going on around us. Um, and remember the cultures that the Bible was written in were, like the Jewish culture was super conservative. The, the Greco-Roman culture was super promiscuous mm. uh, in certain ways and in certain phases. And it's in those spaces that, that you know, God writes through Paul and others and he just says, don't do it. They, uh, Ephesians 5, there mustn't be a hint sure. of sexual immorality among you. Uh, and a hint is a hint. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a hint. Yeah. That is so, so good. Yeah. So, so I think the Bible is clearer than, we, than what we maybe give it credit for or what mm. we want it to be. Uh, yeah, I think um, these days certain things that are meant for marriage have been given less value because of society and how people now view it outside of the Christian perspective. And so when Christians look at it, they think, okay, this is fine. But like generally it's not fine because of what the Bible says. And people don't, so people get more comfortable with doing the wrong thing mm. because of how society views it. And obviously people get influenced a lot more by society because of social media and celebrities and movies and things like that. So, yeah. And, yeah. And, and like, specifically things like sex, and which is specific for marriage, it's such a sacred thing. But it's been giving so much, given so much less value, which is why people are more comfortable with engaging in it. So, so I, I don't want to preach or go on like a tirade yet, but there's a massive lie that society is currently telling everyone about sex, and then and it's this that sex is just something you do in your body. Mm. That's not sex. Sex, sex mm. there is a obviously you involve your body in it, but the way God made sex, it's it's physical, emotional, and spiritual. There's a whole soul element that comes to it. Mm. But, uh, you, know, in, you know, sometimes people talk about a hookup culture. And it's in that space where they say sex is just something you do with your body. It's divorced from who you are. It's completely not true. You can't live like that. That's not the way God made it. You can fake it for a while, but ultimately you'll start burying the wounds mm. in your soul. Mm. So, and I think, so I loved what you said. It was incredibly insightful is that people have made things that God made for marriage less. And this is one of the things. Because if sex is, if we have a high view of sex and we view it like God views it and like he, I mean, he literally says to become one. That's like yeah. super, super close. Yeah. Um, to make it anything less than that is 
a waste of time, to be frank. So what so, exactly happens? So that we've got the physical, you know, you, let's say the person has it, the people has it. What happens in your spirit? So to become one, and on an emotional level, what happens? So, so look, if there's a proper... So the, um, yeah, there's under-18s listening. Eh? Mm. Um, the, the physical act becomes an expression of an emotional closeness and an emotional connection. Um, and then in a way God made it, it's because two people are so sharing their lives together that it talks about oneness. Wow. Okay. Um, and so, so sex is best when it's built out of trust, friendship, relationship, emotional connection. Come on. And then there's the physical act. So but I think yeah. what culture's done is it's tip, wow. tipped it on its head and it's just this thing you do with your body. Yeah. And that's... Um, it's less than what God made it to be. It's um, not even second best. It's 20th best uh, in this space. Because it's really only, that's why I said, why God said sex must be in marriage is because that's when there's the commitment and the relationship. Mm. Through good times and bad times, through fights and fun, there's this, probably it, it's some parts of it celebratory, I guess, <laughs> yeah. uh, if you can, if I can say that. But it's when two, when your whole self comes into the thing. That's the real deal. Anything else is fraudulent. It's fake. Second best. Um, Really. So I think we've touched on a lot of important things, which, I mean, you could probably talk for an hour on each of these questions to do it properly and and look at it that way. But it's been good to listen and to hear. Uh, Trust that you guys have found something valuable. I think for me, the thing I'll say is we we have to take our standards from God and the Bible because that's where truth is. That's where real life is in this area. And the pressure from society and friendships and peer circles is relentless. That's why it's so important to have a friendship circle where there are believers as well. That you can come to and say, guys, just help me, pray for me. And, mm. and you know, uh, build a band of brothers or a sisterhood that can help you just stay where God wants you to stay. Yeah, yeah so good. I think, I think one of the things that really got me in this was when Rudo was talking about that foundation of values. And once the values align in the relationship, then you can build on that. And finally, like what you said, you build a friendship, trust, everything. And then at the, at the apex, when you have sex in the context of marriage, that seals everything. And I think what really got me was that that has just been flipped around. And that's why everyone is so shaky in relationships. And so I really, yeah, I, I really want to, we focus on that with Mjolo specifically, like get the values right. Start there. Yeah, that's that's my take. And that's all from us, guys. Thank you so much for joining us and you'll see us next time for the next episode of I Want to Know. <laughs>